If you were around Cornerstone the start of last year in 2023, uh, we did something we haven't done before, which was have a word for the year. And that word last year was seek. And the idea being that we started the new year with a time of prayer and fasting, similar to what we're doing this year. But the idea was that we would seek the Lord's will for our life. And one of the things that I, I kind of noticed about that idea of seek is actually, while it is the first step in a process in following the Lord, it's also the easiest. And it doesn't just apply to following the Lord. That idea of, of seek is actually where we all start anytime we want to make uh, any change. Matter of fact, I'm sure most or some of us in the room are, are trying some new things to start the year. Maybe you are getting up earlier, or maybe you're trying to read your Bible more. Maybe you're trying to eat healthier. Maybe some of you are like, I'm eating more donuts this year. And I'm like, that's probably something you can stick with all the way through January. Um, you know, but, uh, but it will come with some consequences, I'm sure. But anytime you start something new, you seek. And what we have in our world today is we have the internet. And our seeking typically means if you're going to diet or get up early, if you're anything like me, you immediately go to Google or YouTube and you find out best secrets to how to get a beach body in six weeks, right? At which the answer you sadly have to come to realization of is it's impossible, uh, not in six weeks, not unless you just stop eating completely, which is obviously not something I'm going to personally do. But you seek first, right? Well, the challenge doesn't come in the seeking because it's actually exciting to try to learn something new. If you're going to start getting up earlier, the challenge comes in when the alarm clock goes off at 515, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. And you have to decide in that moment, when you're the most weakest, am I actually going to do this or was I crazy yesterday when I thought this was a good idea? And the truth is, a lot of times we actually wind up thinking, well, I was crazy. Sleep is far better than getting up 45 minutes earlier to do whatever I was supposed to do. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to read more or whatever that's going to be. And so seeking is very important, but seeking only helps us find the truth. There's this other term called surrender, and that's what our series is, and that's our word for 2024, surrender 2024, because surrender is choosing to walk in that truth. You can seek all you want to. Matter of fact, the problem with, honestly, our world and most of our lives are, it's not a lack of good ideas, it's a lack of good follow-through in the good ideas. And so what we felt like as we talked as a staff is that that applies spiritually, that many of us have gone on a journey last year, and I heard personally so many stories of a lot of you who decided to go on that journey with us over the last year, starting back in last January, going through a season of prayer and fasting. You felt like the Lord laid something on your heart, and as many of you found out that the seeking while exciting doesn't actually make any change is when you decide to surrender to what God is leading or pushing you to. And so starting this year now, this is going to be the year that while seeking is still applicable and important, it can't just be about seeking. It has to be about surrender. As a matter of fact, I think we could kind of say it this way, that, that Christian surrender, the idea of Christian surrender we see in Scripture, is actually faith in action. It is putting our faith in who God is and his goodness and his direction for life into action. Now, I kind of want to start today by talking about this idea of surrender, though, because most of the time when you or I in our modern culture hear surrender, uh, there's only really two contexts that really come to, to my mind immediately. One is going to be the military type. It's the, the waving the white flag, you know, so-and-so surrendered their position. You know, they, they gave up, and typically it's a negative thing because nobody wants to be on the team that has to surrender. We don't want to surrender points in a game. We don't want to surrender. It's a, a negative thing. But then we see this idea 
in Scripture where we are to surrender to the Lord. And so what I want to try to do first is to actually maybe turn your mind away from surrender being this, I got to give up, I got to lose ground, because that's traditionally how surrender has been communicated. And that is true. But actually, let me start by arguing is that there are actually positive ways to surrender because the actual truth is we will and do and will continue to surrender to something all the time. So I'm going to give some, just some examples that will kind of give us this, this idea. Uh, here's, a, here's an example of positive surrender. Choosing to get married. Choosing to get married is a, is a form of surrender, right? But not, what, what kind of surrender? Well, namely, you are choosing to surrender your freedoms of singleness, aren't you? Because if you were to walk out the door and said, I'm leaving and not coming back until I'm well, good, and ready, you probably will also surrender your ability to come home that night. You will probably surrender the bed and have to sleep on the couch, right? You know, so, so there are things you surrender so you can no longer live like you're single. And while you can look at that as like, I'm taking a back step. Actually, I would then argue that, well, not according to the Bible because we read in Proverbs 18, 22, that a man who finds a wife finds a what? A good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so you can say, I'm not going to surrender to, to somebody else because I don't want to give up my singleness. And that's fine. Maybe that's what you need to do for you. If you can't surrender that, you certainly don't need to get married and choose not to surrender or later. But when you surrender, sometimes what you gain is a net positive. And so you need to be careful because you are surrendering something. You, you can't have best, you know, the best of both worlds. You can't be single and in a committed relationship that matters. So, so th that's an example of surrender. So what do you gain? Companionship, love, a life partner, family, etc. Here's another good example of positive surrender. Well, becoming a parent. Boy, do you surrender a lot when you become a parent. My new favorite phrase that I, I really do say all the time, not joking, is, and this is why we can't have nice things. We can't have nice painted walls. We can't have nice floors. We can't have nice carpets, nor any other nice thing. I don't like, we just can't have nice things. And so apparently, I didn't know that I signed on the dotted line when I had my first child up. There goes all of my nice things. I guess in 20 years, when y'all are all gone, I can start collecting nice things again, right? Because you surrender that thing. But, but is it a worthwhile surrender? Well, maybe some people, some of y'all are like, I would much rather have nice things. That's fine. Then don't have kids. Or have a room that is locked at all times called the nice things room. And then they can't go in there ever. But then they do anyway because they're sneaky. And then they ruin it all. But, but, but again, let's look at what the Bible says. So the Bible talking about children says, happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Talking about children. Happy is the man. So some of y'all, you didn't know that your despondency is actually happiness in disguise. Some of y'all are like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy it's making me depressed. You know, <laughs> I didn't notice what, what joy really felt like, right? But what do you gain in reality? Well, yeah, you sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice personal space, time, nice things. But what do you gain? Well, you gain legacy, purpose, the true genuine joy of parenting. That is actually there. There are these moments I would not trade anything. I would never have a nice thing ever again for my children in reality. It's fun to, to laugh, but they mean so much. You know, and so... I am surrendering. 
but I'm choosing my surrender. And, and I think that's what's so beautiful about this idea of surrender is that we actually do get to choose. God gives us the ability to choose. And while there are positive forms of surrenders, I want to point our mind to maybe some negative forms that, again, these are things that we choose to do all the time that we're not using the term surrender, but surrender meaning to give up or get over or, or give over or give control to. So here, here's, a, here's something that can be a, a potential negative. How about financial debt? Now, practical. We're Americans. You have to have some debt. And while some of it certainly can be good, some of it ain't so good, is it? And like, so, so what are you doing when you, when you go into debt? You decide, I'm going to surrender a certain amount of my income, but you rationalize. So here's the rationalization that we want to do all the time, but I am getting Blank. I really want blank. I want, so let's just use the car in this phrase. I'm not picking on anybody. You drive a nice car. You can afford it. That is awesome for you. And so that's great. But let's, let's walk down that road, though. I'm going to surrender this much, and they're willing to take my surrender in order for me to get my car. And while that is obviously often necessary, sometimes we go overboard on our surrender to get something that we really don't need. And then what happens is, is then two or three or four or five or six or I don't even know how much longer they're like, you know, before long we'll be renting or, you know, buying our cars on the same kind of mortgage as our house. 30-year loan on a car that's only going to worth five years, right? And so they keep stretching those things out. And so we're surrendering to things that are they really worth the surrender? And so we get locked in because actually this is what Scripture talks about when it talks about debt. It says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. So how many times are we choosing to surrender and then all of a sudden, while it is necessary, but we go overboard, then all of a sudden we're locked in. God can't call us to do something like, well, I ain't got the spare money to do that. I feel like the Lord's calling me to be generous, but I ain't got nothing to be generous with. So there's surrender there. Let's, let's look at something else that's not physical. And again, I'm not picking on you, but, but you know how that feels, though. Some of you have been so locked into debt that you feel like you can't breathe. That's a prison, isn't it? So we choose our surrender. I just always know that money never gets as many amens as kids in marriage. That's fine. It's whatever. It's whatever. I'll preach in the quiet. Here's another one, though, that, that is, applies to every single one of us. What about, like, hatred and, and bitterness, Right? Like somebody has hurt you, we've all experienced that, but then we have a, a, a moment, a choice where we can choose, I am either going to give myself over to those negative emotions of hatred and bitterness or whatever, and usually the logic goes like this though, doesn't it? I will never be hurt like that again, and in order to never be hurt like that again, I am going to choose to surrender to those feelings, thus I will never trust again. I will never give myself to another person like that again. I will never allow somebody to come close to me again. And so that is a form of surrender. And, and the thing is, the, about surrender that's really, really key and, and that the Bible teaches us just kind of over the whole scope is that whatever you surrender to, you become more like. You know, so if you surrender to selfishness, then you don't become less selfish, you become more of it. And so if it's, bitterness or anger or jealousy or any of those things, when you begin to surrender your life to that, you go through a period of where you act bitter or jealous. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. As you live your life longer, surrendered to that mindset, those emotions, whatever, it begins to almost change you. And you might have even experienced this. Have you ever met anybody 
Maybe often they're older. Could even be a parent, grandparent. When you talk to them, everything they speak is almost laced now with bitterness. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I have had it on several occasions. Where everything they say is laced with a little bit of jealousy. Somehow they never ever fully got what they really wanted. Somehow they now believe that they are such a victim that everybody in the world is out to get them. Somehow, someway, because of something somebody did, they are always just on the verge and always just a little angry. So you go from like holding on to the bitterness to actually just giving yourself over to it. And so you get to choose, and this is what Ephesians says. This is why, I mean, Paul's not a stranger to any of this. He even says this to Ephesians to kind of close this idea out. Is, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you. Don't own it. Don't, don't surrender to it. Be removed from it along with all malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, which is the salve to that. It's the anecdote. Forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you in Christ. And so like a key question there is, am I able to move past? Can I quit surrendering to those emotions? But we can say this. Hopefully I've convinced you now that there are positive surrenders and negative surrenders. And actually that this idea of surrender is not a choice that we get. And so that means then proper surrender requires wisdom. Like it requires wisdom to know what you are or should or shouldn't surrender to in your life. Because you do get so far, January, if you watched last week, if you didn't, no big deal. Just Jesus doesn't love you as much as he does the others. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. But, I mean, I watched it and I preached it. I mean, I still watched it. It was whatever. But what we talked about last week is that uh, we're starting again this, this new year in January with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, the idea with fasting is that you are giving up something of value, and traditionally it has been looked at as food because that's about the only thing that most people had of value for most of human history. Uh, but you give up something of value and you replace it with dedicated time spent trying to focus your heart and mind and spirit into alignment with the Lord. And of course, you know, we have all sorts of other fasting, intermittent fasting. It's not a diet. We're not trying to lose weight. Instead, again, we're trying to replace something, give up something briefly of value so that we can better focus our time and energy. And that's why we talked certainly last year and uh, talked a little bit last week about this idea that, you know, there are other kind of fasts too I would encourage you to do. I know in, in our life, in our home, like we haven't been doing any electronics with our kids. They are literally about to die in the afternoon so we can spend more quality time both as a family but also uh, you know, more time doing devotions, having conversations, and just generally trying to spend time with, with one another, which is such a crazy novel idea instead of vegging on the television all afternoon. But like, that's just something we're doing. You don't have to do the same thing for 21 days. I really do encourage you to try to take part in some time. Take the weekend off if you need to. That's fine. Maybe try to do some food. Maybe try to do something else. But this is really the verse that's going to kind of form this whole idea for the rest of this series and the rest of our month is Luke 9, 23 through 24. And so uh, this is a verse I think every one of us has heard, but I want to look at it best we can through some new lenses today. These are the words of Jesus. And he said, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will Save it. Now, 
if you read through the New Testament, you will pick out several different things that Jesus said that are, quite frankly, pretty wild. They're just out, outrageous. And so Jesus makes this statement that to us, who I think have lost a little bit over time because of our Christian heritage and culture, and, and that's fine, but we need to look at it with some fresh eyes. He says, Jesus says, that if you don't act like a dying person daily, by the way, taking your cross daily, it isn't just like a regular or like a Sunday thing, a daily, and choose to, to lose your life to certain things, even though you're trying to gain it by using those things, you will lose it by actually by choosing to lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will actually gain it. And I just want to tell you that if you were standing in the circle around Jesus when he said this, you would have to take a pause and go, is this guy crazy? Like, if a world leader said that, you would go, they are the Antichrist. There they are. We found them right there. Because this is such a crazy, exclusive statement that Jesus is making. And I think the challenge that we face as modern American Christians or modern Western Christians is that what we love to do in our culture is lower the bar on everything. Like, we want to make the entrance to everything just super easy. I mean, some of it is practically. I'm not picking on it because we're all part of it. That's why we give all of our kids trophies. Like, that's why we even, like, when little Jimmy says, you know, I want to be a professional athlete. He's like, Jimmy, you don't have the genetics, bro. Have you seen your mom and dad? I'm sorry, Jimmy. You know, you're going to need to get a job in computers, you know? Like, but we don't want to be honest because we want to believe that everybody can be anything all the time, even though, like, we know that's not really reality. And so we have, but we have consistently lowered the bar on everything, and we do the same thing with our faith. And so, you know, we don't want to read stuff like this. It's like, what is Jesus actually saying? What he's saying is crazy exclusive. And ridiculously hard and all-consuming. This is not a, like, Sunday-only Christian verse. There are a lot of others that I could use that would point us to maybe being a Sunday Christian, make us feel good, but, like, this is not it. This is a verse that has a theme of surrenders. I want to briefly just look at each one of these things briefly as, as that Jesus says. So, number one, he says, let him deny himself. Now, we joke a lot about dieting, and it's probably because... Food's just a really big deal in my life, you know? Like, I don't know how you feel about food, but it has never let me down. Or if it has, I can find another one that would just, like, make me happy again. I mean, it's, it's crazy how it has that power. It is amazing. And like all food, I am, I am not a food racist at all. I just, I just love it all. It's incredible, right? But the thing is, how I tend to deny myself when it comes to a diet, and I have a feeling that a lot of you do the same thing is that Monday through Thursday, I can tell myself no really well. So that on Friday, I can say yes to everything. So when I think of deny myself, that's exactly what it is. I was like, I'm going to say no now so I can reap the reward I want. I'm going to have all the cake. I'm going to have all the donuts. You know, I'm going to have everything that I want on Friday, which is then sad because you wonder why we never lose any weight. Well, it's because all the calories that I, you know, that I kept away from over here in these first four days, I can gain in one meal. Isn't that sad how that works? You know, it's never a 200-calorie dessert. It's always like a 1,200-calorie dessert. And so there's this idea that I think we carry over into our spiritual life. It's like, I'm going to deny myself just enough so that I can kind of build up some credit. I want some spiritual credit so that I can do kind of what I want to later on. And I, and I think this is actually kind of how we do Like, I've been going to church a lot here recently, man. I've been praying and reading my Bible a lot. I just think I am owed flying off the handle at my freaking kids right now because they are being nuts. You know? The Lord's going to forgive me. And I, like, I'm not saying that that's not true. He will, but you also have to walk in those consequences. 
And so that's not how it works. Jesus is not saying deny yourself during the week or Monday through Friday and Saturday's your day. That's, that's just not how denying self works. Jesus is making a very powerful statement. See, the follower of Jesus must deny him or herself, not just their sins, but ourself. Like we cannot be self-centered and follow Jesus. It's actually impossible. Then he takes this phrase, take up your cross daily. Now, yes, you and I read this verse in light of the cross of Jesus. But when Jesus said this, the disciples had no clue. But what they did have a clue of is that we can be pretty certain that everybody who heard Jesus in this moment had seen a man sentenced to death by Rome walk out of the city gates carrying the beams on his back never to be seen alive again. So that's something that you and I are ever experienced. It's not something that's part of our world. And so when Jesus uses these phrases, but he uses it in the context of following him. He's like, you need to be like a man on death row who chooses death to the things that you think will bring you life but don't. And instead, die to those so that you may have real life in me. That's a wild statement, y'all. This is a, a wild phrase. He's taking up the cross means the utmost in self-denial. That, that we get a picture that, in a large sense, Christians should be the most disciplined people. That, that while there is mercy and grace, that our striving is not to obtain more grace. It's to live in the grace and in response, say, I will put to death those things that are slowly killing me and those around me. He keeps going, see, because you want to save your life to lose it. And you know, I think we have some context to this that we all have this natural instinct to survive. You know, we call it the, the fight or flight reflexes, that adrenaline, you know. And I can remember this years ago, just driving on Columbia Road, going towards the interstate. If you, before you get to the gas stations out that way, you know, it's kind of hilly there. And I, I still remember the hill driving in my car by myself, coming up over, cresting the hill to see a car coming at me in my lane, passing illegally, and just by the mercy of God and split-second decisions and, and probably my ninja reflexes too. I'm sure it was all of that, in, all of it together. I slammed on brakes and I jerked my car and I ducked into the grass, just missing them by feet. Terrifying. If you've ever been in that situation, it's like your senses are immediately like superhuman. I could, I could smell the, the tires from my car. You, you just, everything's kind of moving in slow motion. Your hearing's enhanced. And I go to put my foot on the gas, and I realize like my whole body is just shaking because of the adrenaline. It's like I almost just die. Like we have this preservation of life. And so that preservation of life still goes into both our physical preservation but also your spiritual preservation. But the problem is that preservation instinct is distorted. And so that's why we have to try so hard. You're not going to naturally go after the life to secure your life that you need to. You will go after the things that you think will give you life, but it's poison. 
it, it only brings death. And the Lord knows this. And, and we must know this. And so again, surrender is faith in action. It, it, takes, it takes wisdom to have the right kind of surrender. And so you need to know that Jesus is calling out to you that you do not need to go your natural way to try to preserve life because it does not work. Hundreds. That's what, what does the scripture say? Narrow is the gate. Wide's the road. It's like the old interstate in, in Atlanta. Wide, you know, bunch of lanes, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Because those who will lose their life because of me will save it. Now, certainly, and in times past, in history past, it has meant those who physically gave their life to follow the Lord. Well, that's not the reality for most of us. For most of us, it is choosing to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. It is, it is his, it's his breath in our lungs. I, I just know from us, this is a healthy exercise that I do for me. might not work for you. Anytime that I'm really struggling to what I would say is obey the Lord in a way that I know I'm supposed to, whatever that may be, thinking, acting, whatever, it is not my breath that fills my lungs. And as soon as he chooses to remove it, my days are over. I don't say that out of fear. There should be a level of healthy fear. It is God. Read, go read Leviticus. God is not to be trifled with. But I do want to say, as a loving father, though, it's also an, a statement of respect. It is not my breath that fills my lungs. He is the Lord of my life, not me. I would have been dead or damaged or destroyed long ago. So, I briefly want to look at a story that I think can kind of highlight this in real time that maybe can give you some handles to grab onto, and then I have something special for us to end. Uh, I want to look just really fast back at Genesis 12, the story of Abraham. Before he was called Abraham, he was called uh, Abram, and we are introduced to him uh, way back in Genesis, and he becomes, of course, as you know, the, the father of, of well, the Jewish faith that eventually led to the line of David and then to, of course, Jesus as the Messiah. And so this original promise that God gives to Abraham, I want you to see if you can see the theme of the surrender in this quick story. Genesis 12, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, eventually Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So what was God asking Abraham to do? He said, Abraham, I need you to change your life. I need you, Abraham, to surrender to my leading and direction. So let's say that Abraham had been seeking the Lord, and the Lord finally decides to speak to him, and this is what the Lord speaks. Is, I need you to do what? I need you to leave your homeland. I need you to leave your family. I need you to leave even your parents. Take everything you have and to go. And here's the tension. Here's the tension that I think for most of us are going to struggle with, whether it's now or, or in the future. 
In our process of seeking, we want to have all the answers and all the scenarios and all the variables answered. And then we will go. And so I think while you may not say it quite this way, what most of us are praying is that, Lord, when you make the way super clear, super obvious, super apparent, God, my every step, Lord, don't be just a lamp to my feet. Be a spotlight, a whole host of headlights so I can see the way. But that's not how God works. Now, why? I don't have the answer. But I do know that it is illustrated like a lamp, a little light, just to show you the next step or two. And so the challenge for us as modern-day Christians who want and actually have access in many cases to all the variables, to all the answers, to all the data and all the science and all the experts is that that can't be transferred over to the Lord. And so if you want that kind of clarity, then don't take up your cross and follow the Lord. Because what he does is illustrated here with Abraham. Where usually when God first calls you, all he's calling you to do is trust him. Will you trust me and go with me? And you say, well, where? To the place that I will show you. Matter of fact, what's really cool with this story is in Hebrews 11, obviously in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews is writing in response to this. There's a whole chapter kind of called the Hall of Faith chapter. It's a really cool chapter, but there's this brief few statements, few lines here. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, well, by faith, so again, surrender is faith in action. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. Key line, here's next. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, his grandson and son, co-heirs to the same promise. He surrendered his faith in action. So, so here's, here's my challenge to you. Right now, I think some of you actually have a good bit of clarity in what you should be doing, where you should be going, or maybe what you should be stopping or starting, holding on to or letting go. And what you're asking for, and have been maybe asking for for a while, is more clarity. And I, I kind of just want to go ahead and tell you that it's just not how it happens. That if you want clarity, you, you kind of have to start walking. And so some of you, that, that's really scary because it may mean a pretty big life change. I know my, my parents, just to use them as an example, eventually adopted and, and fostered several children throughout my lifetime and even after I grew up. I'm one of the older ones. And so as they were in that season of praying and seeking the Lord, I mean, at some point you just have to say, yes, Lord. You know, okay, okay, we will, we will do it. We will do what you ask us to do. And guess what? That's not an easy or small yes. That means bringing in another human life for the next 18 years. 
But I'm so glad they said yes. Because even as, as one of their biological children, how it changed and shaped my life. And so some of you, maybe it's that. Maybe it has nothing to do with that. Maybe it is how you are spending your time, but that's kind of low bar. Maybe you have been pursuing career choices that you think are good for you, but they're slowly destroying you. Lord, give me a sign, and God has been telling you to stop or step away, or maybe it's to start something, and you're so afraid. Because what if I get into this and it's too big for me? To which I would say, probably. Probably, yeah. That's where the faith comes in. You know, If you knew all the answers and you knew all the, 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 the variables, you wouldn't need God. That's why we usually surrender to things that don't require us to need God. Those things that eventually kill us but feel like they give us temporary little highs in life. I'm going to pursue this or, or that and, and I'm just going to feel good. And then the end of life realized I have wasted it. Whew, that scares me to death personally. So maybe to help clarify this a little bit for you. Surrender in the biblical way does not mean just to wave the white flag. It can mean a host of things, and maybe these will be clarifying. Because see, sometimes surrender means to give up. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it means you need to give up or you need to give in. Like God's been calling you, beckoning you in. That spirit, even now, there's just something that you can't put your finger on. I want to tell you, that's the spirit of God working in your life. You best heed and answer it. But sometimes it means starting, but it could also mean stopping. Sometimes it means going like Abraham. Sometimes it means staying put right where you are because God has you exactly where you're supposed to be. And sometimes it's like Abraham where you're called to leave some things behind, or maybe is to gather up and to take those things or those people with you. So over the next few weeks, until the 21st, I guess starting today, you know, we have two more weeks of prayer and fasting. If you haven't started, that's fine. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I do want to encourage you. But more than anything, this year is not the year to just have a really strong feeling in my heart. Some of you have been doing that for too long and it's actually fear and you keep going back to the seeking table hoping you'll get some new revelation and all God is saying is what he's already said. It's time to take that step of surrender. So what I want to do to close and I want to clarify by saying please actually don't do this if you're not going to take it seriously because I don't want to lead you into something that in some sense could be a curse to you. I, I do believe that. I don't want to make false promises to the Lord. But if you're serious and you feel like this is the season for you and you've got something on your heart that the Lord has been pushing on you and today's just confirmation that you need to surrender it, whatever, go, stop, stay, whatever. What I want you to do is I actually want you to, to come front if you are able. And I want to pray a specific prayer over you and for you and along with you. It's not, my words aren't magic. That's not how that works. But there is something about blessing people. I want to bless you. And so if you would like to do that, I'd like you to come. And if everybody else would just stand, you can just stand with me. We're going to pray. 
The worship team is going to come out and just lead us on one more song. Um, but if you'd like to, come to the altar here, and I want to pray over you a specific prayer of surrender in your life. So come now if you feel like that is what the Lord is leading you to do. Just come. You can kneel. You can stand. Whatever that is. Thank you so much for your, your trust in the Lord and your obedience in this moment. Now, obviously, if you are there, you don't feel like I'm just fine. Let this still be over you. Um, but I, I'm going to start in the, the corporate phrasing, but then I'm going to move to the individual. When I move to the personal, the I, you're praying this along with me because I can't surrender for you. I, I have to pray this for me, my family, my future. So let's go before our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being our Father, a Father who loves us unconditionally. He only wants the best for us, who will never, as your word promises, leave or forsake us, and will never stop loving us. We acknowledge and agree with Jesus that you and you alone can do anything, that nothing is impossible with you. Father, collectively, we surrender to you today with all of our heart and soul, and we say yes to you today. We open all of the secret places in our hearts to you, and we say, come in. Jesus, you are the Lord of our life, and we believe in you and receive you as our Lord and Savior. We hold nothing back. Now, Father, lastly, we acknowledge that often our love for you is not as strong as we would like it to be. It is our heartfelt desire to present ourselves, your people, this church, as a holy and acceptable sacrifice to you, body, soul, and spirit. We want a life that is pleasing to you in every way. Now I'm going to switch to the I, and this is where I need you to pray with me. Jesus, I ask that you keep, you help me to keep my old selfish life in its place of death. May I grow in grace, mature in faith. May I draw closer to you with every passing day. And Jesus, as I rest in you, I pray that day by day, I may be increasingly transformed into your likeness. Jesus, today I choose to surrender to you all of my time, my treasure, my talent, my health, my family, my resources, my work, relationships, time, success, and failure. I surrender it all to you, great King of heaven and earth. I surrender to you my understanding of how things ought to be, as well as my own choices and will. I surrender to you the promises I have kept and those I have not kept. I surrender my weaknesses and my strengths to you. 
I surrender my emotions, fears, insecurity, and sexuality, and I surrender my whole life, past, present, and future to you. Jesus, in sickness and in health, in life and in death, I belong to you. I surrender to your will. I, I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will stay where you want me to stay. I will be available when you tell me to do it, and I will approach and speak to anyone you ask me. Now, this next moment, this is just for you. Speak to the Lord. Father, today I choose to specifically surrender, and I need you to fill in that blank right now. Pray in the courage of Jesus. You surrender that right now. Whatever that is, let it go. Choose yes to the Lord of life. Father, forgive us of the many times that we have made things all about us, our way, our will, our plans, our dreams. We surrender our will and cry out for your will is the only true will for our life. And Lord, we don't know what this prayer may bring for many of us, but we know that whatever comes, it will be for our good and your glory. We trust you, Father, with whatever you allow or take away in our life. We thank you in advance for what you are going to do in our lives, in this church, in our families, and in our community this year. And may we have the faith to believe and trust you in every single one of them. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we say. Amen.